Hey, dear listener, do you enjoy listening to us ramble incoherently about Canadian politics and history? Boy, do we have a special fucking treat for you. We've got our first ever official live show at a bar. It's at Two Crows Brewing on uh, Brunswick Street in Halifax on Sunday, May the 26th at 8 p.m. And uh, if you go to CanadianPoliticsIsBoring.com, if you look at the banner at the top, it will take you to the tickets so that you can uh, book a ticket and come and spend some quality time. It is going to be a very intimate affair. There are like only about 50 tickets available. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to drink a lot. We're going to quiz. Reese is going to quiz me at the end, but he's also going to quiz the audience and see if they know more than I do. And any alcohol you buy, Reese and I, we promise to drink it no matter how much it is. If you want to hold our hair while we barf in the plants outside of the bar, we'll do that for you. So go to CanadianPoliticsIsBoring.com, click the banner at the top, and on Sunday, May the 26th at Two Crows Brewing on Brunswick Street, we will see you there. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Phelan Johnson. And I'm Leah Simone Bowen, and we look at history a bit differently. Have you ever wondered how hundreds of wild horses came to inhabit an island in the Atlantic Ocean? Or what Lord of the Rings and a small town in Manitoba have in common? Or the burning question, did Canada invent the teen drama? The Secret Life of Canada is a podcast about the country you know and the stories you don't. New episodes available now wherever you get your podcasts. Just down, baby. capita export value. Libraries. are you embarrassed by your behavior today? There's, there's a lot of bleeding hearts around. Do you have the fortitude or the gonads to stand up and come across here and say that to me, you son of a bitch? Just watch me. He certainly went too far, Mr. Speaker, when he st- I saw him stick his tongue out. Contemptuous disregard. More than a slab of bacon talking here. The disappointment you also feel is my responsibility. I lost my temper. What is the nature of your thoughts? The word was F-A-R-T. Hello and welcome to Canadian Politics is Boring. This is a a very unexpected and special episode with a very special guest. I'm Reese, and with me is Jesse. Hello. Uh, Jesse is just woken up. He's in Montreal, and he looks he looks exhausted. If you're watching this on on YouTube, which I mean, we've got a very small, very small, but for some bizarre reason, dedicated following on our YouTube channel of like a dozen <laughs> or so people who like they refuse to put it, listen to it in any other way. So I'm like, all right, Reese is Reese is dedicated to putting up YouTubes for some reason. So if you see, if you're watching this, I'm sorry. I look zombified. I woke up. I did not get good sleep. I woke up like 10 minutes ago, man. So like, I'm like, oh yeah, I got this. I got a fucking, okay, let's just wake up. And then if you're seeing the show down below, there's a person. In a box. Yeah, you, you might hear Rob just chuckling. Hey, this is this is Rob Goodman. Hello, Rob. Rob. Hello, Rob. I have a question for you. Do you have uh, do you have like a, a can like this of something 
Yeah, you know, I've got, uh, let me grab one from there. Give me a sec, I'll grab one for the fridge. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Jesse yeah. wants okay. you to do some ASMR. This is going to be some. This is going to be some some dead air. But uh, give me a sec. Okay, okay, that's right. I'll, I'll I'll introduce you while you're gone. That's fine. Okay, so, great. So so Rob is Rob is the opposite of what me and Jesse are. He is an educated, informed, and experienced political insider. He's the assistant professor. At, he's an assistant professor at the Department of Politics and Public Administration at Toronto Metropolitan University, which apparently um, also goes by Ryerson. I found out. I've yeah, or oh, used to. They yeah. rebranded because Ryerson did bad things, and then yeah. um, in history, and then uh, he's also worked as a speechwriter for U.S. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer in the U.S. Don't and, open it yet. And yeah. Senator Chris Dodd. So, so Rob, you're incredibly well experienced in American politics and Canadian academ- academia and Canadian politics. But we want to hear you drink from a can. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> are you familiar with ASMR? Uh, I've heard of it. I've never. I'm not like into that kind of corner of the internet. But but tell me all about it. So ASMR is you get you get the sound. I'm going to crank my microphone. Okay, go for it. <laughs> Just three men on a camera listening to ASMR. Oh, I'm, going to, I'm going to put this up to my my headphone mic. I'm going to crack it right here. All right. It might if it explodes my face. I'm going to be really frustrated. Oh, hey. There we go. Nice. There we nice. go. Cheers. Nice long drink. Take a nice long yeah. slurp. Hmm. Hey. <laughs> so, 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 Rob, did I introduce you properly? Did I miss anything? Or did is there anything you want to add or no, correct? That, 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 was all, that was all right. I'm, I'm glad you went into the, uh, the, the Ryerson bit. When I was hired in 2019, it was Ryerson. Uh, very quickly changed to TMU, which is what we're trying to go with. The administration is trying to push Toronto Met, but I don't think they're going to make that happen. So I think we're just uh, we're, we're TMU you for the foreseeable future. Kind of like the Sky Dome in Toronto, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, being the yeah, fucking yeah. Rogers Center. Yeah, yeah exactly. They're just you, you can't. You, some things you can't force it from the top down. No, no. The people want TMU. Yeah, that's fine. Well, it's, yeah. it's, it fits on a shirt easier as well. Yeah, I think so. But no, Ryerson was. I I didn't know much. This is part of my 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 deal. Um, being an American who's been in American politics and, and came over here uh, for the job, but also because I moved, my family sort of wanted to be here. Um, and, and you discover that, you know, we don't have, um, you know, Confederate uh, general statues uh, in, in places like Toronto, but we do have Edgerton Ryerson's, Edgerton Ryerson statues. And he we did some things. That's pretty yeah. problematic statues in Canada. They oh, yeah, that's, exist. True. that's true. That's true. <laughs> so he's done some things. They tore down a statue um, as the university was working on the renaming. And the university's like, oh, we have a committee. Hold on, hold on. We're we're working on this, but uh, people people took it into their own hands. <laughs> That's amazing. A yeah, committee. I um, love so, that yeah. shit. So oh, so, so you're American, and you've mm-hmm. now moved to Canada. And I feel like um, uh, we have very different backgrounds. And I came from a different country, but we came to Canada for very similar reasons. I feel because you, um, uh, I feel you find it. Do you, correct me if I'm wrong. From what I've read. Uh, from from the book that you're kind of uh, you were releasing at the moment, um, a lot of it was you kind of felt a connection and a bond with with ca- the way Canadians live, civil civil society attitudes, that kind of thing. Which is one of my main reasons of coming here. I was fleeing, you know, Britain, which is slowly sinking into the ocean um, in, in a metaphorical sense, not a literal one. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, to, I don't to, I'm wouldn't be surprised these days, to tell the truth. And, and I think uh, uh, our listeners in the US, I think, like who listen to our show, are often unaware of some of the bigger issues in Canada. And and uh, what our show talks about a lot of the time is the crazy stuff and the unhinged stuff that people don't <laughs> always imagine happens here. So tell us a little bit about how, kind of how you end up in Canada after like a career in, in DC and everything. Yeah, so I, I was in I was in politics in D.C. Uh, I was a speechwriter in the Senate and the House. Um, uh, my my you mentioned uh, Chris Dodd. I worked for Steny Hoyer, who's Nancy Pelosi's number two. Uh, I was a speechwriter for a while, I, and then I went to uh, grad school. I started studying political theory. I, I started working on the history of rhetoric, which is sort of my my big interest after being a speechwriter. The history writer, of the history, the history of, rhetoric? of rhetoric. Yeah, so I know it's it's incredibly like like abstruse, but like. <laughs> I did. A, I did. A, I did an AMA on Reddit about this, and I told people, "Yeah, I used to be a speechwriter. I got into academia. Now I kind of study the history of it." And they're like, "So you 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 had a job doing it, 
and now you have a job teaching other people about the history of other people who've done this and how is this a step up? <laughs> so thanks, thanks, Reddit. I really... Reddit you know, is so harsh. Yeah. That's really funny. Like, just what to say. And clearly, like, that it's like, it's like learning philosophy in university. The only yeah. thing you can do with a philosophy degree is teach philosophy yeah, to other people. But you took it a step further. You, yeah. you taught about other people who had done it. Like <laughs> it really is, and clearly that comment's been living rent free in my head for like five years now. So like, <laughs> I didn't even know it was. Uh, honestly, I did not know it was still in there until it just came out. So that's, that's great. But yeah, so I, yeah, thanks. So that's what we do when here. I uh, when I started going on the job market and thinking about where to be and where to do this incredibly obscure specialty, um, I was really fortunate to get a postdoc at McGill, which is sort of our Canadian con- uh, connection. Um, and then I was really fortunate after that to get a job at, uh, then Ryerson now, uh, TMU, a teaching political theory. So, you know, part of it's, yeah, part of it's just the, the kind of prosaic stuff of you go where the jobs are, especially in my world, but also, yeah, yeah there's a little bit of, we did search especially hard here, uh, me and my family. I, I have, I had two girls we moved now we have three girls. So, um, wow. I thought about, yeah, I thought about where I wanted to grow up and like, I really, is that, a, what's geez, that like raising three girls? Well, you know, right now it's a lot like raising two girls because we've got a three-month-old. So she's a newborn. She's just sort of okay. a, right, yeah, yeah. She's a three-month-old. She'll kind of sleep. So I'm sure it's so going to be you haven't more. discovered the pure chaos just yet. It's not it's on its way. Yet. There's a lot of okay. nap time, but we know it's coming. <laughs> Enjoy the peace. Yes, right. <laughs> I saw a quote once. Somebody asked uh, somebody, what does it feel like to have three kids? And he's like, well, imagine you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just, that's about right yeah. <laughs> that's that's pretty accurate yeah sadly accurate um but no i am in the phase where the baby right now just kind of sleeps and poops so we're getting there two girls is, is plenty on its own just wait till but they honestly, hit 14 yeah. the nightmare oh my gosh yeah <laughs> oh my gosh and like the, so glad the one thing and I, I pride you know i pride myself on doing like all the things that parents are supposed to do except i haven't learned how to braid hair yet and and one of my oh, that's my easy. Oldest, I know I can do everything else, but like my my oldest kid, uh, who's eight now, like she insists on not cutting her hair. It's down to her butt. It, it's she's never going to cut it. So braiding her hair is a process, and that's the one thing that I need to kind of like like catch up on. <laughs> it's not hard. Just yeah, three, I know. I'm sure it's not. But, and... my, but also, we've talked about hand-eye coordination. I'm not sure if you've no, seen okay, mine. Like yeah, yeah. 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 I down to my butt yeah. too. Yeah, <laughs> I got so, my, people wanted to braid my hair, so yeah. I kind of learned. It's, mm-hmm. it's not hard. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Jesse used to have really long hair. It did. Yeah. Yeah. Like nice. super long. No, it wasn't. Nice. It was a stupid mistake no. that I had for years, and no one bothered uh, telling me. That's just... what we, we've all told her. We've bothered to tell her a lot. She just, she just makes it more and more stubborn. <laughs> so, Rob, we we here today because you've reached out to us because you've written a book called yeah. not here why american democracy is a rodent and how canada can protect itself which when i read so the title, is a rodent a rodent oh a rodent a rodent not a rodent when i read that title my emotional response was like oh wow you've kind of written down um, something that people probably feel and worry about sometimes. Jesse probably doesn't because he doesn't worry too much about stuff like this. But people who are kind of into politics and what's going on in the US and what it means for Canada. And when you see like a borderless kind of far right in Canada and the US kind of interacting, when I read it, I was like, oh, well, great. Someone's someone's looking into this. Phew. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell us a bit about the book and where you got the idea from. Yeah, so I think where I got the idea from was, was my my experience, first of all, uh, of making this international move, which I know as far as international move goes is, is pretty trivial. It's like the easiest one you can do, fine. But still, <laughs> being, being at a bit of a remove and watching most of the Trump years unfold from, from the relative safety of, of Montreal and then Toronto, um, and then being aware of, of how much the Canadians that we became friends with are focused on American politics and how, how aware everyone is of this sort of dumpster fire that's going on in, in the late Trump years the, the first impeachment, the second impeachment, January 6th, the, the three indictments and counting. Like th- this is like we all in, in Canada and the US, this is all the background that we all just kind of live with. But I guess I, I started thinking about, I, I had a similar reaction to you, is that it, it struck me as a somewhat more functional country. It struck me as a country where there's still something like a public sphere and a sense of a public good that is not quite as eroded as it is in American politics. And I got this sense that 
you know, to the extent that I can help, which I know is not that much, but to the extent that I can help, it's saying like we in the U.S. there have been some major screw ups along the way. There there have been some major missed turns and, and sort of uh, tragic circumstances that have gotten to the U.S. at this point, where we we almost had a coup in the U.S. We might have a coup sometime soon again. Who knows? Mm. And to the extent that I can say like. Hey Canadians, in this country, we're not exempt from this sort of stuff. We're, we're not exempt from these these politics, these trends, the power of the global far right and the global authoritarian movements. All this stuff is a power here. But I thought about how to best get that message across, and what I tried to focus on was focusing on. I, I want to be real about the threat. I want to be real about what it means to live next to an eroding democracy and how that upends a, a lot of what I think we take for granted here in Canada in this country. And yet I also wanted to leave people with a sense of, you know, the opposite of, of despair and, and doom and gloom and the kind of doom scrolling that's all too easy to get into. I also wanted this book to say, to have an opportunity to say, like, you know, there are some reasons why the far right isn't quite as powerful here as it is in the U.S. It's not just because Canada's behind the U.S. chronologically. It's not because of coincidence. There might be some reasons for it. And if we can unpack those, then maybe we can understand a little bit better what Canada can do to stop going down the road the U.S. has gone down. So I, I see my, my, my perspective sometimes as I, I've, I've come from a place where this process of, of erosion, of democratic backsliding or whatever you want to call it, is pretty far advanced. And I really want to say while there's still time, like we can still do something about this here, but we've got to pay more attention. And, and that's kind of what, what, the, what motivated me to write this book in the first place. I'm glad, glad you put like a positive note at the end, like a call to action on things people can do. Because yeah. you, sometimes you read books <laughs> or like films with like bleak endings. I guess we're <laughs> fucked. You know, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, like see, kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, sorry, go. Oh, because oh, yeah, I, I was talking to a, I, I had a really interesting Facebook conversation. Remember when we used to have interesting Facebook conversations? Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I yeah. remember yeah. those too long ago. Yeah, but it, it was about you know, what, what motivates people to, to do better, to, to pay attention to these things. And I don't think this is like a crazy radical point, but I think it's that it's striking the balance between this is a real problem, but there's also real reasons not to despair about it. And there's real reasons to feel like we have some agency here. And I really think like threading that needle, like, you know, from everything, from democratic erosion to the climate change, to the housing crisis, to whatever it is, like that needle is such a hard needle to thread, but it's so important. And I, I try to do it in the book. So when people ask me about the book, so where do you come down? Are we screwed or not? I'm like, I, I hate to be that guy. And I hate to be that kind of professor who just says, well, it's complicated, but it's complicated. And I tried to make the book like that on purpose. Do people kind of come and walk up to you in the street and go, professor, are we, are we, are we, are we fucked? <laughs> I, I wish I had that kind of name recognition, but, but not anytime soon. Well, ho hopefully they will. Hopefully they will. One of the things you, you talked about in the book was um, – Canadian localism versus nationalism. Now, obviously, like, um, could could you kind of talk about that a bit? Because it's less about kind of defining yourself in in more negative, like, right wing terms. What 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 does Canadian localism mean? I guess. Yeah. Thanks for picking up on that. So, I guess what I was trying to think about in the book was what does Canada have going for? Well, what's its democratic immune system? And at a time when <laughs> when the U.S. Yeah, right. I know. But at a time when the U.S. is in such deep trouble. Uh, can I say such deep shit on this show? I, I guess yeah, I can, you can say what. Oh say my what god, what like, nice. yeah, yeah. At a time when it's in such deep shit, I do feel like emphasizing what makes Canada distinct from the U.S. and what gives it a different set of democratic traditions is a positive thing we can do. So that's step one. But step two is saying, well, how do we think about this? Is this is this a project of, of Canadian nationalism? Is this saying to say we're going to be kind of raw, raw jingoist for Canada? And I'm really not going down that road. I don't want to go down that road in the book. One. Mm. Because I do think of myself as a person on the left. I do think of myself as someone who does not really have time for those right-wing versions of nationalism. And also because it's, it's not surprising that nationalism goes in that exclusive kind of direction because it, it, it's connected to defining like who's a member of the nation and who's just visiting, who's real and who's not, who's, who's yeah. a actual Canadian and a not actual Canadian. And that's, that stuff is poisonous, right? And I, I talk about that in the book. So I'm like, I need another word for expressing this sense of, of pride in institutions um, and distinctiveness without saying some people belong and some people don't. So I, I decided to use localism, which I know is a bit of a stretch because it's not a, obviously it's not a farmer's market. We're not shopping local. We're not buying our, our kind of $7 <laughs> apples here. 
organic, I, homegrown so democracy. I, you know, gonna, <laughs> right. But what I like about it is, is, is one, you know, I'm a Latin nerd going back to my academic background. So nationalism comes from the Latin word for birth. Uh, localism comes from the Latin word for place. It's natus versus uh, locus. And what I like about place is this idea that anyone can be from a place. Anyone can be part of a place. Anyone can become part of a place over time. And that's different than saying I mean, you're that's kind of what Canada's thing is, you know, yeah. we, we're a melting pot of, of everybody. This is why people, the, the long going joke is like, no one, no one is going to bomb Canada because this is where everybody's cousins live. Yeah. You know, I like is, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I do feel like, yes, it is where everybody's cousins live. And I met a lot, but yeah, I'm not sure if the word's going to catch on, but what I was interested in was a Latin was, phrase. Probably not. But it, no, 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 but, uh, no, that's not going to catch. I have no illusions about the the average voter out there, but I like localism, like who knows? But what I'm trying to express with that idea is this idea of having a sense of, of justified, reasonable, not jingoistic kind of blind pride in what's going well without being exclusive and obnoxious about it. And that's a really hard needle to thread, but that's kind of why I thought I might need a different word for it. Honestly, I kind of like get a sense of it. So I, like growing up in the UK and having lived in the UK where there's an incredibly like poisonous attitude to immigration um, mm-hmm. to the point where people protest, you know, the Coast Guard when they're trying to rescue boats of immigrants out of the mm-hmm. ocean to say, no, leave them there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a really, really unpleasant mindset to come to Canada as an immigrant. People just like, just go, Hey, welcome home. I was like, I've been here like five minutes and you're already yeah. telling me that I'm, you instantly feel like they're like, I don't give the fuck where you're from, but you've moved here and you're paying taxes and you got, you know, you got a house and your kids are playing on the street. So you're home, I guess you're Canadian now. And I never, I never like, that's one of the big appeals was, it was how like it's, there was no, no baggage. <laughs> Yeah. Just kind of like, but I, as long, yeah. as, long as, you're, as long as you're nice and you kind of like follow the rules and you're good to each other and you don't smash any windows, then you're a Canadian kind of thing. <laughs> so I, I really, I really like that. That's, that's part of the attraction. I do want to, like, I don't want to oversell it because I'm sure it's, it's like, you know, this is you get into this thing every time. You are we overselling it or are we being honest? But I, I've had a similar experience, and I, I know, like I said, I made the easiest possible immigration that, that there is in the world. I went from the U.S. to Canada as a white dude, so like, I get that it's easy for me. But I also, I've since that, that attitude as well. And I really, like, you know, Theresa May got a shout out in my book uh, for the uh, for the go home or face arrest uh, trucks. So <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I come from a long heritage of that in the U.S. So I I, I, I instantly recognize that dynamic. What's uh, what's your favorite section of your of your book, the part that you're most proud of? And if you could tote oh, one, one area. That's such yeah. a question of someone who hasn't read the book. What's the, what's the best yeah. <laughs> Tell me about your book. Which page should I skip to? Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell I, I yeah, I, I do have an answer to that. I, I like chapter three. Chapter three is called Solidarity. And chapter three is about the kind of connection between the public sphere, public goods, having a, a public sphere that, that works, having public schools and public hospitals and um, you know, stuff like publicly funded or subsidized uh, child care, mat leave, all these things that are basically, they're, they're not separate from democracy is what I was trying to say in that part of the book. And this is kind of, I liked it because this is the part of the book where I got to put on my little bit more leftist hat and talk about the, the economic equality dimension to it. That I think as a political theorist, my view about these things is that we need them for democracy. One, because they teach people how to look at each other as equals. Like I go to that school mm-hmm. drop off, doesn't matter that my house is, uh, you know, kind of falling apart because it's old and that's all you can afford in a housing crisis. Doesn't matter that some people live in very fancy refurbished square houses, as we call them. Doesn't matter that a lot of people live in the uh, public housing projects that are near the school. Like, you drop off your kid at school drop-off, you stand in line with a bunch of other people, you have that in common. You both have an interest in making sure that public good works for everyone. Now, I, I get, and this, this is, again, threading that needle, I get that Ontario has to do with Doug Ford and, and driving QP workers on strike, and I get that uh, class sizes are out of control, and I get that the public sphere isn't what it used to be in living memory. So I'm, I'm not trying to be, right. you know, kind of rose-colored glasses about the public sphere here in Canada about these public goods. But I am trying to say they they were relatively good in living memory. They still beat out the U.S. in a lot of ways, and they still give people this sense that we have a stake in democracy beyond just the word. Because you know the thing that really stresses me out about U.S. politics is not just the way that I see the kind of far-right authoritarian folks like Trump, um, obviously 
being a bigger threat to democracy. But I'm also mm. worried by, by center-left types like Biden and, and here Justin Trudeau, who are very concerned to use democracy as, as a campaign slogan and are very concerned to tell you that democracy is on uh, the ballot. But there often isn't the substantive dimension, like what do we do? Like, so what? And why should we care? And then chapter three, there's this part where I'm talking about public goods and how it's connected to democracy. That's yeah. kind of my my how we should care chapter. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think I think like the the idea as well that um you know, I suppose there's a lot of people in the US who don't really use the government for much. If your healthcare is already kind of privatized and that's connected to your job, if you send your kids to private school, if you kind of, you know, there's a lot of people who don't have those similar touch points, I guess, in the same way. Um and and I I think like the way the uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is as well. If you live in a rich area, you pay more taxes to the schools in that area than a than a poor area where the schools are less well funded. Whereas that doesn't quite work the same in Canada. Um, so you don't have that kind of localized mm. inequality or the inequality difference. Um, I don't know if that's acro- the same across the whole of the U.S., but I know yeah. in some places is is something that does happen. So I'll give I'll give you an example of this. So like as you said, like that that is accurate in the U.S. and I, I'm. I'm not I'm sure there are some jurisdictions that are that are exceptions, but in general, the, the the rule is that schools are funded by local property taxes. So so schools in richer neighborhoods are are better resourced, and and the rich schools in the U.S. are comparable with like any school in the world. They're, they're excellent schools. The U.S. does really well at the top of the income bracket. What it doesn't do well on right. is, is any sense of equity. And of course, that's tied to to the histories of of racism and segregation in the U.S. But totally, you know, I, I talked to I talked to back when I was in Montreal. I talked to a um, a friend who was a professor at McGill, and she said she grew up in the. Uh, she was a, a first generation Canadian. She grew up in the um, in some public housing in BC um, with immigrant parents, and she was saying, you know, her school was a public school. It was funded just as well as a rich kid school in, in Vancouver, and that that allowed her to kind of get the education to go on and become a McGill professor. Like this kind of stuff right is this kind of social mobility the us used to be really good at it it could still conceivably be good at it again right now you know, not so much right now it's polarizing around income race residence zip code so on uh, yeah sure canada's polarizing in the same way but there's a little bit more living memory of uh it doesn't really have to be this way guys and still mm-hmm. as you said like schools are funded in a still kind of more equitable way like i love my kids public school and it is a public school that is directly across from the housing project and that's exactly what public school is supposed to do. It's supposed to take the people like me who live in overpriced houses. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to take the public housing kids. And it's supposed to say, you guys live in this country together. Figure it out. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, there are places in the U.S. that still have that, but less so. <clears throat> mm. uh, speaking of uh, uh, polarization, so um, just out of curiosity, I'm curious about your opinion on this. So in the States, there's a separation of needs between municipal and rural that is already present in Canada. Uh, do you see the concept of like blue and red states migrating north to Canada in terms of left and right provinces? Yeah, in some sense. I mean, there's obviously the the kind of uh, you know the fact that uh, the liberals with the last election or maybe even the last two, you know, they they don't win a, a seat um, uh, between BC and and Winnipeg. I think I'm not sure if that was the last couple, but of course there, there's kind of this perennial issue of, of Western alienation of, of provinces like Alberta that are defining themselves as you know, kind of offshoots of the U.S. style conservatism. Um, you know, I saw this uh, person writing about uh, Daniel Smith the other day, and how you know she made some comments where she described the powers that she thought that she had as, as premier of Alberta mm. that turned out to be you know the the powers that a Republican governor would have in the U.S. But it is different under a different system of government. And, yeah, I, yeah. I think that, yeah. and you know, there's there's the famous. Um, the um, you know the famous comment from one of the uh, people who was brought into court after the uh, Ottawa uh, truck blockade, um, along the lines of "I just thought I was exercising my First Amendment rights," and the judge said, "Which First Amendment?" Um, <laughs> so so it means something. It, there is a First Amendment in Canada, but it means something totally different. I think. Oh right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, just want, I want to say that that question that I asked, uh, I is from my friend uh, Andrew Howie. I, I texted him and asked him, like, please send me a question that will make me sound really smart. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, like, and that's the thing we want to do with this podcast is that, like, it's it, one of the th- key things is, like, talking about politics, but, like, in a way that um, uninformed people like us can kind of, like, comprehend these ideas and everything. And, like, oh, yeah. Je- Je- Jesse's role is has always been kind of, he really, you care about stuff. You do care about 
the issues, Jesse. But you, of course. it's it's the mechanics of democracy and politics that frustrate you more than anything. So it's, it's only frustrating because to me the system is like maybe le- definitely less so in Canada than in the states. But the system is insanely, intensely broken, and we're being pleaded with to please care about uh, a system that isn't working. It just isn't working, you know, and, and it's, and that to me is the frustrating part, you know, like kids get in the car and there's no tires in the car and there's no gas in the car. And we're like, why dad, the car is clearly not going anywhere. And all he's doing is just begging us to please, please care and get in the car. And we're like, why there's, that's not going anywhere. That's how, that's the frustration I feel is like whenever I talk to people who are really in the know, they're so passionate about like, we got to do something. I'm like, yes, we do. But what we're doing clearly isn't fucking working and hasn't right. for a long, long time. No, no, no. Jesse, I wanted to add to your point, though, that as someone who was born in Canada and you haven't lived a long time in any other country, like mm. as someone who's come to Canada, like from Europe and other people I speak to have come to Canada from other places. Oh, others like Brexit they, in the States. They're insane. Uh, but, <laughs> they, no, but no, but honestly, like a lot of people would be like, Canada is still doing so much right in comparison. It's not, it's not perfect. Like mm. it is some terrible shit that's gone on and there's some big problems that need to be overcome but largely speaking like um life in canada like my you know my parents would say about like my my kids like they they miss them but they're yeah. so happy they're growing up here because of how it feels <laughs> and you know the way the government is so even though it is you're, oh, you're, you've, like, you've, I mean, you've got a yeah. point but even in relative terms and I, I don't know um rob whether you agree with that or not, but to me i'm like it's like slightly better than everywhere else yeah <laughs> like, i, mean, I, I agree like, with that reese for sure yeah. <laughs> i mean sure like like you said that i think a second ago you, you were talking about how we're all kind of sinking and I, I agree we're like we're all sinking we're sinking at different rates and i think the reason we're sinking <laughs> are some big global things that have to do with neoliberalism and capitalism and some big abstract words. Yeah. That, oh, no, yeah. I agree. So totally. we're all thinking in different ways. But, you know, I, I think about, I, I, I talked about this in another interview. I, when I think about what I what I like, I like that there's like more union density here. I like that it's not crazy to be a unionized professor or grad student, which is just my my world. I mean, now it's not the biggest world. Mm-hmm. I like that, you know, <clears throat> Doug Ford, um, Tried to uh, take away collective bargaining rights from uh, from education workers. What does that Huge mean? strike. Oh well, he tried to. So then the he was trying to impose a contract basically on these these ed, school janitors essentially and early childhood educators, like the people that um, are not the certified teachers in my my kids uh, JK class, but the people are the the, the the teachers aides and the janitors and the lunch people. Um, and so he's trying Ford, to impose a, like a. Stop them from striking. Stop them yeah. from being able to strike. Right. Oh, right. Fuck yeah. Jesus Christ. So he's like, you can't strike. Here's your contract. <laughs> to which they said, screw you. We're striking anyway. And uh, <laughs> and I went and I took my kids and it was great because it was Queen's Park. That's, that's like awesome. a streetcar ride. And you know what? He backed down. And I just like, I know Doug Ford is is, is Doug Ford. But yeah. the reason <laughs> that I find a little bit of optimism in Doug Ford is not because he's so great. But because he backs down because things like organized labor still have a little fight in them here that I couldn't see like a Republican governor in a popular state in the U.S. backing down like that. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not because Doug Ford's so great. It's because you've got a little bit more power on the side of organized labor to make him back down. And that's right. just I think about that as, as a microcosm. Like, yeah, we're all sinking. We all have Doug Ford's everywhere. But the question is, like, um, is there a reasonable hope of pushing back in some places like a little more than others? Mm. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. 
Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Phelan Johnson. And I'm Leah Simone Bowen. And we look at history a bit differently. Have you ever wondered how hundreds of wild horses came to inhabit an island in the Atlantic Ocean? Or what Lord of the Rings and a small town in Manitoba have in common? Or the burning question, did Canada invent the teen drama? The Secret Life of Canada is a podcast about the country you know and the stories you don't. New episodes available now wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, I like the optimism. I do. I again, I just as as Reese pointed out, someone who's like I'm, I'm not into politics. I don't understand a lot of the terms. I just I can see a smoking wreck of a car that's on fire, and without being a mechanic, I can tell you that car is broken. And that's kind of how I feel about our political system. But like, I still feel like we need to make giant changes from within the system before seeing systemic, like really positive systemic changes like lobbying. That's got to yeah. fucking go, man. That's insane yeah. that that's even a light, a legal thing. Okay. It's got to yeah. go like just fucking yeah. hell. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you a story from my, my U S politics days. Please. Uh, I'm not going to say who this guy was lobbying for. Um, Cause that would get me in trouble, but um I, I had a very, I had a nice desk. It had a nice view. I was very lucky because I worked at the Capitol building for like a year and a half. So I had a nice view. Uh, I, I think I go out for lunch and I come back um, and a lobbyist has come to visit my, um, my, my boss while I was out. Um, and I guess he kind of fancies the view from my desk. So when I come back, he literally is sitting in my chair with his feet up on my desk, just kind of like, like looking out the window, doing his thing. Like that is, they literally think they oh own my. this place. What, a, ma- what like a metaphor. It. Yeah. Right. It was perfect. That's um, amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, and again, I'm, I'm sure it's no different here. I'm sure Canadian political staffers have, have equivalent stories here. But like, wow, it was just so on the nose. I was actually kind of grateful for him for like giving me such a great metaphor. <laughs> the, uh, I, I did have a question. Sorry, Reese. It sounds like you were going to say something. Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. Go on. Uh, I, I, I just wanted to get your opinion on on the like the left versus the right sort of insanity. I have thoughts on this that mm-hmm. are probably unpopular. Um, so you've got we <laughs> got basically five different oh, five different sort of power struggles, uh, and I'm going to say this is anywhere in any country. So you've got the, is this an official Jesse theory? This is an official Jesse theory. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. this is not official. We need, we need like a musical sting or something. Please, yeah, yeah. get like a little. <laughs> give me some like do, 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 some '50s sort of infomercial music. Yeah, exactly. um, yeah. Reese does that. <laughs> so you've got the left. You've got the far left, you've got the right, you've got the far right, and then like, and then you've got the corrupt. Who what about the center at number six? Oh, yeah. Okay. The center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the left, the far left, the center, the right, the far right, and then the corrupt. And the corrupt mm-hmm. are really at the crux of most of the problems. Because if you if you look at the spectrum of far right to far left, really we Despite how we feel, despite where we land on this spectrum, I'm left. I'm not far left. Um, but I'm I believe that we need everybody on this spectrum at the same time. We need more understanding and less fighting, less like, fuck you, be on my side or you can go to hell like that's not helping anybody anywhere clearly it just doesn't fucking work and like the mentalities of left versus right is kind of simple if you want to break it down into really really simple components the the left is 
care about others before you care about yourself, care about your community first, care about your tribe first, mm-hmm. you know, make sure that other people around you are well taken care of. And the right is the opposite, which is put your own oxygen mask on first before helping other people. It's about mm-hmm. me, my well-being, my financial well-being, my family's financial well-being. And then once we've got that taken care of, then we can look at other people. And the, the dichotomy between the two enrages both sides so much, <laughs> right, that it's insane. But the reality is you need both to have a functioning society and we need more understanding. And I feel like if we don't get rid of the fucking or or deal with the corrupt who who are playing both sides against each other like this insane wrestling match just to benefit themselves, right, then nothing is going to change. And it's going to look like an us versus them system forever when really it should be an us with them. Right. System. And can I, yeah. And I, I, I think that that's, that's right on. I like the way you express that. And like, thank you. You know, we are talking about the, the, the Justin Trudeau kind of culture war stuff and the recent kind of Barbie social media photo before the, uh, we hit record. And I was thinking about that and I was just like, this is that not question was name. mine, not Howie's, by the way. Yeah. That was a good one. <laughs> thank you. But I was, I, I was thinking like, you know, there, there's, um, the, the, so much of politics is culture war. Some of this is left versus right struggle that you're talking about is, is people getting clicks on social media or people just just hating in order to hate. Yeah. And I feel like you to the extent that we start making politics about concrete stuff, material stuff, quality of life, like actual tangible quality of life stuff. And that's the thing I talk about in the book a little bit as well. This idea that the more politics can be about that, the more constructive it can be. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think about it's easy to do part of the corruption. I think you talk about and, and how corruption feeds into this polarization mm. is this idea that, that a lot of people uh, in, in social media, in traditional media, you know, what have you make a lot of money off of making people hate each other, making people Huge. see each other as enemies, right. Instead yeah. of recognizing that we've got a lot of material interests in, in common. Like I do not care if Justin Trudeau goes to uh, Barbie wearing a pink hoodie. I don't care if, if, if people on the right make fun of his pink hoodie I care about like I care about I've got a three month old kid. That kid's going to daycare. I, I next year. I need to know if that daycare is going to be ten dollar a day daycare or if it's going to be half price daycare or if nice. we're going to be paying for you know insane out of pocket expenses just so so my my partner and I can work. Um, that's the kind of concrete thing, and it's not as it's it's harder to get up on your high horse. It's harder to be kind of ideological about. There's a lot of more. It, it, the technical, there, there's nuts and bolts, there, there's room for negotiation, but it's a lot harder to kind of get social media clicks out of the concrete stuff. But the concrete stuff yeah. is where that stuff is possible. And it doesn't mean we're all going to agree. It doesn't mean that like if we just got rid of social media and the culture war, well, then everyone would have exactly the same politics as I do because I, no, I know no. that's not going to happen. No. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I, no. I, but yeah, but but there's something – but you can, you can have an argument. You can have a real argument over how much can we afford to pay so, or how much is it worth it. To pay so that this guy can send his kid to daycare. Yeah, mm. I, I no, feel I, I feel like the next Canadian election is going to be the most balls out culture war election ever because ah, be so even stupid. like Trudeau even like posted in that picture with his son like it's just it's just someone going to watch a popular hit movie with his son and they're both wearing pink because that's the colors of Barbie and and sure. he posted it he knew he was going to get a reaction and like oh, the, sure. everyone exploded on the internet about it but at the same time you got Polyev who does the same thing from almost the opposite position where you know he does those signals to people where you kind of mm-hmm. read between the lines and everything like how do you feel about now you know obviously you've identified that, that and I I kind of don't like it because I grew up in a place where who you voted for is based on where you were born rather than kind mm-hmm. of anything else. So yeah. I grew up in, in an area where if you didn't vote Labour, you would be disowned, um, mm-hmm. which isn't like a healthy democracy necessarily. It's very tribal. And I kind of feel I don't like the way this election is going to go next. It's less civil and much more based on those kind of raw emotions. Yeah. How do you feel about it, Rob, as someone who's trying to, you know, stepped away from the US where that is more prevalent too? Yeah. And I'm really like, I'm annoyed. <laughs> to see it as prevalent here as well. Um, and I guess the thing that, you know, I try to focus on what is potentially within my control, not not control, but like what I can have any kind of influence over. I know that I'm not going to make the far right stop being crazy and I'm not going to make them stop being the far right. <laughs> hey, the but far I, left I do is think, just as crazy, man. Yeah, that, okay, that, that's fair. That's fair. And it's funny because I, I think of myself, sometimes I think of myself as a leftist and I need an actual leftist. I'm like, oh, 
you have piercing that I didn't even know about. Yeah. But, but, but um, I will say the thing that, so I try to focus on, on people that would potentially listen to me, like I've center left people, Democrats in the US, that kind of stuff. And I, I think that what annoys me about the way that the center left plays into this kind of cultural war politics is that it's so easy and so rewarding, and apparently it works, to say, like, I'm just not that guy. I'm, I'm you know, Biden mm. can say it about Trump. Trudeau's trying really hard to say it about Polyev. He's got this new kind of line about seriousness, and I think he's he's apparently poll tested that. I think he's going to be using, we're going to hear a lot of that word. In that seriousness? Serious. He's not serious. You need a serious leader for serious times. Oh, serious, works serious, from, that I guess, guy, yeah. whatever, so, right? so that's that's Trudeau's light is Trudeau saying yeah. that he's serious. I'm serious. Yeah. So it's, okay. it's just going to be this. It's going to be this vote for me because I'm not that. And, <laughs> oh, and that's, that's that's been around forever, though. I know. Vote I know. for me because I'm not him. You yeah. know, like that's it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's yeah. <laughs> and, it, it, and that's the thing that it, it annoys me so much. And I really wanted to say, like, there there's space to get beyond that. But I think part of the reason that 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 the, the, the Trudeau's and the, the Biden's go back to this playbook is because so far it's been working OK. You know, Biden, Biden wins. Trudeau holds off challenges from the right. I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen in this next election. But it doesn't it, it doesn't move the ball down the pitch. And look at me looking, using a Britishism because I'm, I'm trying to be a good guest. But it doesn't it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't move the ball down the pitch or the, the gridiron or what have you. It doesn't it doesn't actually get to any of the substantive stuff. But it's so easy to keep the conversation there because it benefits everyone, you know, except like except me, who, who's paying like, you know, a good quarter to a half of his paycheck to, to put his kid in the daycare that's oversubscribed and has a wait list. Yeah, yeah. That's insane. I, I hear people describe Trudeau as a great politician, but a bad leader in the mm-hmm. sense he knows how to play the game, but he doesn't necessarily, he doesn't, he's let, he's more interested in the game than the, the actual, the role of prime minister. Yeah. What well, that means. And I kind of like, I, I guess that, you know, the poly, I, I find poly have like, and, and not like, because he's on the right, just, just the way that he, the things he said and the things he does say and the association he makes with people and, and kind of the, the symbolism that he puts in there. Mm-hmm. I, it just, just, just makes, makes me kind of shiver. And I kind of, he really does seems- come across as a, like an actual sociopath, <laughs> but then no, really like but, well, no, honestly, no, but, he might honestly be like, but then at the same time, Trudeau is so, um, there's such a blind spot. I feel where he's, he's almost to the point where he can't see that the the country, a lot of people, like a lot of middle-class people, people from all different economic backgrounds are finding it harder. And that's enough to make people who vote for him not turn up or switch or whatever. Um, that, you know, he's kind of potentially like by not stepping back from the role and, and kind of like stepping down that he's putting his own tri- interest before the country's interest if he really believed in his principles he to, to acknowledge that maybe he's not the best person right now to be in charge of the country yeah. or or fighting with the liberals and to kind of because also it would instantly disarm a lot of polyev has been so anti-trudeau if trudeau stepped back he would then mm-hmm. they'd have to start from square one again building mm-hmm. a new boogeyman for all the everything that's wrong with with canada so i kind of feel like he's kind of i don't know I don't know what kind of point yeah. I'm making. I guess it's just an instinct that I think yeah. I'm worried that this election is going to go. Uh, it'll probably end up being a minority conservative government. That's where I kind of feel. That's and interesting. That's, that's my predi- my prediction, which means they won't be able to do much, uh-huh. um, but they'll still be able to do quite a lot. I can, I, can I ask? I, how is that going to work though? Because who's going to like? I thought all the parties, all, all the smaller parties, are are committed to to not go enable with the block. Um, maybe keep them in power in exchange for something. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they, yeah. yeah, maybe they would if like they would just yeah. they just had to sign up to being really preferential to Quebec and and their yeah. kind of demands for the problem. I don't know how it would work, but yeah. Um, but at the same time, they'd have to work with other people to pass anything, I guess. But yeah, um, that, that's my that's my yeah. Reese's Reese's hot prediction. Music sting. Yeah. <laughs> Reese's hot prediction. <laughs> because because Trudeau and even then, I don't think I think if Trudeau lost, he still wouldn't resign necessarily. Because his dad oh, lost after ten years, yeah, and then he won another term like a few years later. Like, here's the thing: if, I, if I'm Trudeau, though, I just feel like you've got this just kind of life beckoning out for you there as kind of international celebrity. You, you exactly. could kind of join the you could join the Obama ranks. Like he and Obama are gonna have a podcast. I guarantee it. Yeah, oh, yeah, God. God, exactly. That, that's my hot prediction. Honestly, Can you imagine the Obama? 
Yeah, I, I would listen. I said, I'd be I'd be crazy. The pod, the, the Trudeau Obama podcast, all yeah. good times That's to good. a slow jazz backtrack. Polly Bros, they could call it. Oh yeah. So but, I just I just feel like when that's beckoning to you, like it's got to be hard to like show up for another day of work in in, in Ottawa in February. Yeah. Oh, oh without doubt, I'm just like his yeah. brand his brand outside of Canada. It's like yeah. the polar opposite of what it is in Canada at the moment. Like everybody loves him. They're like, why can't we have a sexy young leader? It's just uh, because like he's Justin a Trudeau. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. It's the states. Yeah. That's all. The states prioritizes looks above all else. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just. I, I will say, like one thing that I, I, I probably have. Like I, I. It's funny because I um I teach a class on uh like basically political rhetoric um and one of the things I have my students do was why don't you show a speech from a recent politician, discuss it, talk about the, the strategies and all that. And someone showed Polyev's uh, acceptance speech when he won the conservative nomination. And, and the funny thing is, I, I have this weird kind of tick about consuming political news. I, I read it all the time. I'm, you know, social media, CBC, all that kind of stuff. I don't watch a lot of videos. So I've never really seen him give a full length speech. And, you know, I was like, you know, when he knows he's in front of a big audience, he can tone those things down and look mm. very presentable when he wants to for a small amount of time. And I'm concerned that in like this kind of four to five week election campaign, you know, he's going to be able to make himself look like just sort of a average approachable sort of politician because most people don't have, most people have very little uh, preconceived notion of him that aren't obsessed with politics already. And those people have mm. already kind of made up their minds. Right. So I am, I'm not concerned about how he's going to be able to present himself as sort of an anti-Trudeau. Well, also, he just put a video out like last night of him is narrated by his wife. And it's mm-hmm. kind of talking about the softer side of him and he's pushing oh, his kids boy. on the swing and they're, oh, doing a, wow. they're doing a puzzle together. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of going for like the, the soft, gooey center of, of who oh, he yeah. is and everything. Um, Look, everyone, I too am human. Yeah. <laughs> all, I, all I was thinking, I want to do a re-edit where we just go um, basically say, look, he's pushing a baby on a swing. It's his baby, I'm guessing. He didn't borrow one. But um, <laughs> I mean, you don't know. <laughs> we'll just sit on the voice of a go, Pierre Polyev, he won't eat that baby. Justin <laughs> would. Yeah. It's funny, though, because this is like going back to Canadian U.S. politics. So, so DeSantis, I just saw this ad that he had when he was running for, for governor of Florida the first time. Similar kind of humanizing thing, like playing with his kids on the floor, except he was playing Legos with his kids. And then he got the kid to say, fill the wall, daddy. And oh like, oh, oh wow. That poor kid. Second of all, like, and, and maybe and maybe it was DeSantis. But anyway, he evolved this kid in this kind of build the wall Lego kind of <laughs> exercise. And, and Amazing. God, the level of like, you, you, like that, that's like, that's not even concealing the sociopathy. No, no. Your kids no. just just be nice to your kids. Uh, the um, yeah. is it Ted Cruz did that? Um, I don't know if you remember. He did he did some filming with his family that was yeah. supposed to be that. Look, I'm look here. I am with my family, and we're so regular and normal, and yeah. we're just, just like, so regular. Like, we're but just a regular somebody, normal human family. But then someone leaked the raw footage of of Ted Cruz's like shoot essentially with his family, and he's basically trying to like get his kids and family to act normal. Oh, yeah, they don't want it. yeah. And this, and I know cameras like when you introduce cameras to a situation, it freaks everyone out and nobody acts normal. But even like the interactions with his wife, where he's like trying to get her to kiss him and stuff like that, <laughs> and some, some people just did. Please people love just, me, please. Yeah. It's all it's all on YouTube. Check it out because it's so yeah. excruciatingly excruciatingly painful. Um, yeah. But uh, come come just to come back to your book, which is kind of right, you, know, yeah. you, you do you don't want to talk about your book, but the um, the. One of the things you talk about as well is the the idea that Canada is like there's an economic dependency. There's like a codependency between US and 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 uh, Canada, and that that can also be a conduit for this kind of the the principles and ideas that have eroded American mm-hmm. democracy. You talked about Canada kind of yeah, building relationships and becoming a middle power and influence in other places. So what what would you say is the best way for people people who are worried that all these kind of ideas and and things are flowing over and kind of, you know, going to take up all the space in Canada in terms of political ideas and everything. What 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 are your thoughts around like how we can kind of make sure it flows the other way too, I guess. Yeah. So this is this is sort of a a big kind of it's sort of like a high level and maybe vague thought and I'm not sure like how well I can translated into kind of the policy, what people do. But but this is what I was trying to spell out in this this part of the book that you're talking about, which is obviously, you know, Canada and the US are exceptionally economically intertwined. Obviously the Canadian economy yeah. is incredibly vulnerable to what happens in the US. You know, by the way, the, the couple of times that I've done 
uh, you know, I, I occasionally as a as a quote unquote expert, I do kind of media. People always want to know about Joe Biden and America First policies. They want to know about uh, auto tariffs, about softwood tariffs. Like this, this is life or not life or death, but it's livelihoods for people. Right. So I, I, this has obviously been like a huge theme of Canadian history. I talk a little bit about in the book about the one of the last times Canada grappled with this in the seventies uh, about uh, Mitchell Sharp and the uh, third option uh, paper trying to make the case for um, more economic separation. Uh, from the U.S. kind of as a matter of cultural and political independence. Um, I, it obviously didn't work out, and it, Canada ended up going the other way under the Mulroney government. But I, the, the the big picture thing I try to spell out here is the economic dependence, like Canada can try and should try to diversify because I think exposure to trade is exposure to illiberal ideas if you're trading within a liberal country or an eroding country. But also, like, economics is not the only place the game is. I think that there's a lot of kind of economic determinism in the way people think about the Canada-U.S. relationship specifically, thinking like, look, Canada's always going to be subject to, to American political trends, always going to be subject to American political influence because the economies are so intertwined, and that, that's where the action is. Everything is downstream of economics. Mm. And I guess I'm trying to say in the book, like, culture matters, politics matter, history matters. There are lots of examples of people thinking about ways to be more active about how they shape their own society's culture or their own nation's culture beyond the economic. Um, yeah, so so it, it's important, you know, for instance, that, well, it's not that important, but there are things in Canada like a coffee crisp bar or a uh, or the um, uh, ketchup chips or whatever it is that aren't available in the U.S. and people kind of latch onto these things as symbols of pride. But, but, <laughs> but these things are, you know, the thing is, like, when you think about economics as where the action is, you get these kind of, this kind of ridiculousness of latching onto consumer goods as a thing that defines Canadian identity. I, I'm trying to say in the book, like, like room Look, I, temperature donair sauce. Exactly, right? Yeah, just I from Halifax, baby. That's right. We've got a, we had a donair place in Toronto that just opened. And I tried. I was like, well, this is really sweet. I'm like, I don't even know what is going on here. Oh, really? But, they they couldn't get yeah. it? They couldn't get it right? I, I don't oh, know. Well. I'm, I'm, I, I was in New York before this, so I've got like, I love the like New York halal card style. But but my, my, my point was like, the, the consumer stuff is, is all interesting. And I get that people put a lot of their identity there. But there's so many other things that could support the sense of distinctiveness and that we don't have to go down that road that the U.S. has gone down. And it's not all in the economic realm. So the economic realm is a big deal, but it's also really easy to be fatalistic fatalistic about it and say, well, because the economies are so intertwined, we're just going to sink and swim, swing, rise or fall, float or sink, I guess, with, with, with whatever happens in the U.S., See, this is what happens when you when you have a beer while you're uh, doing a podcast. And there you go. No, no, it's, yeah, right. it's encouraged. It's encouraged. Yeah. So it's, okay. it's, a, it's afternoon. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I always say I always say though that like if you think of a Amer- think of an actor you like in an American movie, there's a good mm-hmm. chance they're Canadian anyway. So like oh, the, yeah. there's so many cultural influences that Canada oh, yeah. it goes kind of yeah. both ways, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 there was a story during the pandemic, and that you heard about the fact that when Trudeau and Trump were kind of uh, interacting where Trump basically said to 3M about not exporting any more masks outside of the US, which would have mm-hmm. cut Canada off from a supply of, of masks. Um, and then there was a, a conversation between Trudeau and, and Trump, Trudeau, Trudeau basically saying, well, all of the raw materials that go to the 3M factories come from Canada. So <laughs> we don't make us masks. We're not going to send you the stuff you need oh, to make boy. the masks. Yeah. That's <laughs> which, funny. Which to me yeah. kind of sums up that relationship. It's kind of, it works both ways. In so yeah. Many yeah, I, I had this, That's uh, really funny. Yeah. I, I had this moment of um, a sort of unearned Canadian superiority kind of in the early days of the pandemic when you know, there was a period, I think before Omicron, before, I'm not even sure what, how many ways we ended up with. But there was a period in which um, you know, the, the, the numbers in Canada were much less severe than they were in the U.S. Uh, before mm. Omicron. And my mom in the U.S. Uh, sent us a, a package of kind of nice N95 masks to take care of ourselves and the family. And I appreciated that. But we're like, oh, we don't have that here. No big deal. We're going to drop it off the hospital. So we donated all these to the hospital, which I felt good about. And then like the next wave hits and I felt a little less smug. And then wondering where I was going to get my N95 mask. <laughs> so I realized that's, that's the price you pay for, for overestimating the differences. Interesting. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah. No, I, th- I think the um the the kind of the 
sometimes the Canadian superior attitude um, and also sometimes the American attitude of going, well, if it all falls apart, I'll move to Canada. Um, yeah. I think sometimes people aren't looking close enough at Canada <laughs> to kind of, kind of, you know, just kind of realize that it's not, that's not an easy option necessarily. So. No, no, absolutely not. And I really want to be like, whenever people ask, so what are you, are you here because of politics? Do you, I get that sometimes. Like, are yeah. you the guy, did you literally crash the immigration website? Like, were you the guy that got the immigration website before it crashed on the night that Trump got elected? And I'm like, no, I promise it was a job. I promise I had legitimate gainful employment. Um, <laughs> but that's the kind of thing that I that, that does come up occasionally because I think I think Americans do kind of, um, it's it's just it's the, it's the grass is always greener syndrome. It's it's the other, and mm. and I think there's a lot of kind of not well thought out. And I, I was trying to say like when I was writing the book, I was saying, well, how much is there any truth to this at all? Is there a difference that that can that, that can be good and positive for democracy? Is there something? And I think there is something. But it, it, it's complicated. It it's not nearly clear cut. What's that? Mm. I was just asking what it would be. Well, I, like in the, I, I talk about a couple of things in the book. I think like one, like tradition of not having a single real Canadian people. I, I like that. It, it's, it's got traditions of multiple peoples, multiple stories. I, but that's good for uh, immigration, lack of kind of white populism and so on. Uh, I like that uh, parliamentary government like like beats uh, presidential systems by by a ton. And that's not even... You know, to the extent that we have facts, we don't have a lot of facts in political science, but to the extent there's something that political scientists agree on, almost everyone agrees on that. I guarantee if you pull political scientists, Canada's doing a better job with a parliamentary system. Um, yeah. And I talked a little bit about the, the, the public sphere, you know, the, the things like the unions, the, the, the slightly better public goods here that, that gives some kind of basis to fight back. And those things are, uh, you know, they're, they're not everything, but they're a little bit more than... Um, at least it's not Trump, so I'm going to go crash the immigration website on, on election night. <laughs> That's amazing. So, so yeah. thank you for your time. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank it's you been uh, it's been a really fun time, Rob. I got a, I do have a question for you for a, a oh, yeah. our last question you have for um, for the show. So, is this from your friend? People, is this from your friend? Jesse? No, it's just from no, it's just from me. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give our listeners if they wanted to build? a better system of government and, and like action that they themselves could take other than go vote. Yeah. Well, well, New Zealand has a really good and open immigration policy. So I suggest looking into it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, other than go vote, I would say, and I, I'm not sure if this is going to make you sound too left, but like join a union. Like if your workplace is unionized, make okay. sure you're in that union, go to your meetings. And, and again, this is like, I, I should be clear that I need to do a better job of going to my, my meetings, but Show up at your meetings, like show up at the picket line. If there's a picket line, don't cross it. Work with other unions. If someone's unionizing your workplace, like figure out how you can help, uh, you know, figure out, you know, vote, vote for it. Obviously, if there's, there's a union poll and, and, you know, in my world, the world of political science, we're going to have a major conference uh, in LA. Maybe you've seen a little bit of stuff about this on Twitter or maybe not because I'm just very insular, but there's a huge strike of hotel workers at the strike, uh, at the conference hotel where this conference is being organized. So a bunch of people have been scrambling to to um, cancel their participation, to put their panels virtual, you know, so we won't have to cross this picket line to do our job as political scientists. And it's it's a whole big thing. I mean, it's a lot more complicated than I just made it sound. But but the point is is that stuff like this, like figuring out how you can help other people who happen to be on the front lines now, so that they'll help you when it's your turn, like that that stuff does matter. So I'm really glad that I showed up when the QP workers are on strike because those people are teaching my kids in school. I want them to be well-paid. I'm really glad when the, when the contingent faculty at my university are on the picket line, I will show up for them because those people are going to teach my students when they're in other classes and their quality of life affects my quality of life. So that stuff like politics isn't just voting. There's there's electoral politics, sure, but there's a lot of politics that's not electoral and, and unions for me are where it starts. That's amazing. What a, what yeah. a really, that's a great answer, man. I like that a lot. Thank you. Thanks. I'm so no. glad. I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to play the, uh, I'll play some, uh, 1930s union music as we uh, play a song yeah. on this. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. so, so yeah, I got a question. Where can yeah. people buy not here? Why American democracy is eroding and how Canada can protect itself, uh, by Dr. Rob Goodman. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, wherever books are sold. So like uh, go to indigo.ca. Uh, if you're into Amazon, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it at your local bookstore. I'm going to be having a uh, book launch at Queen Books uh, in, in Toronto, which is an awesome local bookstore. But if there's not one near you, like- What time? What day and time? 
Oh, uh, September 8th, uh, open to the public. Uh, I'll have an event, right? September 8th, 6 to 8 p.m. If you're in Toronto, Queen Books. Uh, but otherwise, uh, Indigo, Amazon, wherever books are sold. Awesome. Amazing. Amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah and the book you. is out August 15th, so it's out next Tuesday. Wow, that's excited. Yeah, thank you. We'll try and get this out before then so we can tease it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we really appreciate your time, and thanks for reaching out to us and coming on our weird show. Well, yeah, man, we really appreciate it. On. Thanks for like <laughs> that was fun. Fun. It's great. Yeah, and enjoy the copy. The copy is going to be coming to you, and you know, I mailed it a couple of days ago, so it should be good. They're both going to Reese, but uh, did Reese you draw some dicks in it? I, I didn't, but I, I I did a little. Uh, I said this book uh, Canadian politics is boring, and this book is too. So I, oh. I, I signed <laughs> it. Ah, that's amazing. Thanks. Thank you so much, yeah. Rob. Yeah, thanks, yeah, Rob. Thank you. It's nice meeting you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, dear listener, do you enjoy listening to us ramble incoherently about Canadian politics and history? Boy, do we have a special fucking treat for you. We've got our first ever official live show at a bar. It's at Two Crows Brewing on uh, Brunswick Street in Halifax on Sunday, May the 26th at 8 p.m. And uh, if you go to CanadianPoliticsIsBoring.com, if you look at the banner at the top, it will take you to the tickets so that you can uh, book a ticket and come and spend some quality time. It is going to be a very intimate affair. There are like only about 50 tickets available. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to drink a lot. We're going to quiz. Reese is going to quiz me at the end, but he's also going to quiz the audience and see if they know more than I do. And any alcohol you buy, Reese and I, we promise to drink it, no matter how much it is. If you want to hold our hair while we bar from the plants outside of the bar, we'll do that for you. So go to CanadianPoliticsIsBoring.com, click the banner at the top, and on Sunday, May the 26th at Two Crows Brewing on Brunswick Street, we will see you there.